carefully imparted into me, I want to impart it into you. And I, I catch myself uh, many times, I like to preach. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so I love to preach. And I do preach, but I, I see sometimes after I've really got into it, I haven't really effectively imparted everything I wanted to say. And the Lord's kind of dealing with me there. Uh, it's, it's taken years and years, and I guess I've, uh, I've seen more and more the need of, of, of teaching and preaching. When I, when I minister, I believe I, I really do both. As far as that goes, uh, in John 4, Jesus come to Samaria, and as, as we set this forth, and most people here have heard it, all, all should have heard it, he comes to a woman at the well of Samaria. And the first thing here, uh, as we get on down the scripture in a moment, I want to point out is why did he go to Samaria? Why did he need to go to Samaria? Because it says he needed to go to Samaria. And you, and you have to ask yourself why, because Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. How many know that? That, that when he come, he, he didn't, you, you know, I know he come for all men. He came for Jews and Gentiles, but he came born in the flesh as a Jew to the, to, to Judah. In fact, if you if you study your Bible, you'll find out that really who were that who was there in that day, to the best of my understanding, was Judah and Benjamin, because Israel had been taken captive and dispersed uh, by the Assyrians. Now you you know, and and I probably don't have all the other understanding of that, but when when I say that, there were, there were probably some some of the it, Israel that had come back into Jerusalem, but we'll just leave it there to search out and look at. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, you have to break down your Bible and study it. You have to get in and study it, look at it, read it. it when you go into the kingdoms of Israel, and a lot, of, a lot of Christian people believe, well, Israel was just following the Lord when Jesus came. They were really doing everything but following the Lord when Jesus came. When you, Israel under Solomon's reign, after Solomon's reign, what happened to Israel? They became a divided nation. And in that divided nation, that divided nation wound up, or at least part of it, wound up in Samaria. So when you read that he had to go to Samaria, there's, there's a little bit more to it than he just was going over to visit Samaria. The, the kingdom of Israel, and, and I have a scripture here in the book of, uh, I believe it's Kings. Let's see, 1 Kings 16.29. It says, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So Jesus had to go, and we're going to go back into John 4, Jesus had to go into Samaria. So the kingdom of Israel had went into Samaria, and the kingdom of Judah was in Jerusalem. Henceforth, Jesus was the lion of the tribe of what? 
of Judah. So, so when you start studying through this, was, was, was Judah just following after the Lord and Israel not following after the Lord when they divided? The answer is no. You, you go into, uh, I forget where the Scriptures are, maybe they're in Isaiah. It, you know, the Lord speaks of, of Judah and Israel as two harlots. And, and He gives them uh, names. And He speaks of them both as harlots. But Judah had a purpose. And Judah's purpose hadn't been fulfilled until Jesus came. See, the purpose of Judah still being together as a nation was out of Judah was going to come the king. And, and we have to see sometimes in Scripture what the purposes are, what God is, is doing, what, what's God saying. When we come back into John 4, and see, I'm trying not to get too wound up and preach. It says, as Jesus comes to the woman at the well, and you can start, at verse, I don't know, 10, Jesus answered her and said unto her, verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Every one that drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come all the way here to draw, hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said unto him, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou saidst well, I have no husband, but for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. This hast thou said truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers, here's where I want to get to, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Okay? And you say, notice this, you say, in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now what does Jesus say? The woman says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And I believe she was an Israelite. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe, maybe she was. That's, that's me personally, right? But I believe she was an Israelite, and she was referring back to the kingdom of Israel, I believe. But, but whether she was or she wasn't, you, you know, we'll, we'll leave that alone. Anyway, she automatically began to say, we worship here, and you worship there. But what does Jesus say? Notice what he says, woman, believe me. Have you ever heard this part? He says, believe me. If the church would believe what he says here, we'd probably have a whole lot less people, and I've got to calm down what I want to say, a whole lot less people wanting to fly across the ocean to get to the Holy Land. 
Nothing against going to Jerusalem. I'd like to go myself, so I'm not speaking ill of that. But, but a different understanding would happen in God's people, and that's what we want to come to, is a different understanding, or, or the spiritual understanding. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So where will you not worship the Father at? In Samaria or in Jerusalem. Now today, a lot of Christians are trying to get people to promote Jerusalem. Jesus said there's an hour coming when neither in Samaria nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So what does he mean? And he tells the woman, listen to this, you worship that which you know not. You don't even know what you worship. <laughs> we worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. Well, he was salvation standing there. So he, he says, we worship, we know, we know what we worship. But the hour cometh, and now, when did he say it is? Now. Why was it now? It was now because He was there. It's that simple. Because He made it now. When He became, when He became present, it, it was now, and it now is when the true worshiper shall worship in the Father in spirit and truth. For such doth the Father seek to be His worshipers. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, break that down. God is a spirit. So the Holy Spirit that we have, the Bible says there is one God. The Bible says there is one Spirit. So if there is one God and one Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit, that would mean we're encountering the one true and living God. Amen? Would it not? If God is a Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a Spirit, and there is one Spirit, then we are encountering the only true God who is what? Spirit. And God's people, bless their hearts, know that, but don't know that. Everyone that's received the Lord, what did they say? Jesus came into my heart. That's the Word. Well, when He come into your heart, how did He come into your heart? As a six foot tall man? No. You didn't see Him come, did you? No, because, because your inner man, your heart, your spirit identified Him as Jesus, as Christ, as Lord. So in our first encounter with Him, we, we know who He is when we're born again, don't we? We get, we get born again at the very start of our walk. We encounter God in spirit. And we, we, and we call Him by name. We say, Jesus, I've heard people, Jesus came into my heart. 
And then, almost immediately, they begin to get taught other things. Instead of realizing a indwelling Christ, they begin to be taught about a Christ that's not near, that's far away. Right? Instead of realizing God is Spirit and God was after a people to comprehend Him by Spirit, they begin to try to learn God some other way. But that's what God is. And we'll leave the rest of that alone right now. But God is a Spirit. And He seeks you to worship Him how? In Spirit and in truth. Okay. So now let's, let's, so, so let's break down a little bit of truth. Jesus said, Neither in this mountain in Samaria nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So if I'm trying to run to Jerusalem to worship God, and again, I'm not against somebody going and touring Jerusalem, so nobody hear me wrong, but but if I'm trying to think that I'm going to get closer with God just because I go to Jerusalem, I'm probably not worshiping in truth. I probably don't have a comprehension of truth. I probably don't know what truth is. Because truth comes out of a spiritual understanding. And if I have any truth, I've learned it by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, I don't have any. If God hasn't taught me anything, then I don't know anything, right? That's the truth. Because God wants to teach you. Apostle John writes in in the book of John, he writes in one place that the anointing that abideth in you shall do what? Teach you. How much? All things. Teach you. You need not man to teach you, for his anointing shall teach you. Well, how's he going to teach you? He's going to teach you out of relationship. So, so if I have no relationship with him, when am I going to get taught? So this is where the walk becomes a walk of relationship. God teaches us as we are in relationship. Now, part of that relationship is a one-on-one relationship with the Lord. That's part of it. But part of it's also the gathering of His body. That's part of the relationship because when the body gathers, the Lord is present in His body. So God works one-on-one with you and God works through His body. I don't know that we understand as believers how important it is to gather with one another. Not that, not that we're coming to to the church because because we are His body. We are the body of the Lord, but we are strengthened one of another because the Lord is in His body, right? So, so we come together, and and we don't all necessarily have the same office or function in the Lord. We all don't necessarily see the same thing in the Lord. But God can impart in one brother. There's a brother that's really blessed me. Uh, I'll I'll miss his name. And he probably doesn't see a lot of things I I see. And I probably see a lot of things different than than he does. A brother named John Noe. He's really blessed me. From the historical view of things, I've liked some of the things the brother said. But I, but I have to be willing to receive of a brother that may see things that I don't. 
And see, and vice versa, the body of Christ has to mature to a place where we can have some good conversations and realize that brother so-and-so really may have some truth that you don't have, and vice versa. And impart one with another. Allow the Spirit of God to cause us to grow. Because a body, and I, and I wasn't even going here, but here's where I am. A body in the natural requires feet, legs, muscles, joints, tendons, ligaments. You go down through it. All these pieces work together. I think one of the most profound things the Lord has really been saying to me, and you can flip over to Isaiah 2, that's where we're going here. So I really want to teach and, and impart something. I'm starting to preach a little bit. But one of the things the Lord has really imparted in me is what He said to Peter in the book of Acts, What I have cleansed, call thou not common or unclean. And I'll say this to you because many in the church, many believers, look at other believers that don't agree with them or don't understand what's being said, and almost immediately, you don't even have to go to what you say the world to find a lot of criticism. You just get in the church. And the church is divided. The church is criticizing. The church is tearing up and beating up and, and breaking down. And God says, what I have cleansed. So if God cleansed you, I have no authority to call you common or unclean. Now, we're, the Lord may give you a word of correction for someone. I, I'm all for that. But that's not a, I don't think that's necessarily a norm because I think the Lord will correct you in His Word and by His Spirit. I really do. And as we begin to regard the body, we'll appreciate one another as the body of the Lord. I mean, I, mean, I see some things in, in a greater impact than I've ever seen like, like uh, Brother James. Like I said, good Isaiah too. Like Brother James. Sometimes you read some James writings and especially if you're in a... Deeper life teaching, you may look at Brother James and say, well, he's not that deep in the Word. And, and, then, and then the Lord starts de- dealing with you. You may say, oh, Brother James was deeper than, uh, than you thought. You know, and, and one, of the, one of the places Brother James talks about a poorer man and a wealthier man coming together in fellowship. We've all read it, right? Well, I can understand that out of the carnal mind or out of the natural and say, okay, I shouldn't regard a rich man higher than a poor man. But I think Brother James had a greater understanding than that, and he was looking at it out of the body of Christ. He was seeing the body. He and Paul, and places, Brother Paul's the same way. Apostle Paul says some things, you know, really, really deep in the world, and then other things he says, like, be you kindly affectionate one to another. And we think that means out of our natural feelings, we've got to learn to be kind and affectionate one to another. Sometimes it's very difficult because we don't relate. We sit down naturally and we don't have things in common. Have you ever sat down with somebody natural and you, you, you just don't have anything in common with them, right? But if you see out of the view of the Spirit of one body with the head being the Lord Jesus Christ, then you begin to understand what Paul is saying about being kindly affectionate one to another because you're doing it unto the Lord. If you're doing it to the body, you're doing it to the Lord. That, that principle works in God's kingdom. If, I treat, if I'm going to ridicule the body of Christ, 
And I may not understand this, I'm really speaking against the Lord. And we don't understand that. We don't, and, and the Lord, because of our immaturity, you know, His mercy and grace, uh, uh, you, you know, works through us anyway. Thank God it does, because if it didn't, we'd all be in trouble. So if we weren't in the covenant of grace, we would be in trouble. See, that principle, if you follow the children of Israel through your Bible, that principle is all the way through them. They are one body. And that one body affects, or one member of that one body affects one another. Go back and read your Bible and you'll find where in one place they stole gold, silver, idols, or whatever and buried them in a tent and what happened? The whole group was hurting. You know, of course, they took them out in that covenant with that group, with those and what killed them. <laughs> but, but thank God we're in a covenant of mercy and grace. That we're, we're in the new covenant. But in the same, in the same view, we affect one another. So, so when Paul and James are saying these things, they're speaking out of the view of the body of Christ. They're not just speaking out of the view of the flesh. And a lot of times we, you know, I know I hadn't seen that until the Lord really showed me that. And, and I, I realized that, that a lot of these things Paul wrote in places had, had, uh, had major impact. When, when I, I preached certain things, seated with Him in heavenly places, but I glossed right over, be kindly affectionate one another. Right? Cause, cause how do they work together? Because it's the view of the Lord. Because when I come into view of the Lord, I'm going to see the Lord and His body. So, so we'll, we come to a place where we're no longer singing the Tom T. Hall song, Me and Jesus Have Our Own Thing Going. We come to a place where it's the body of Christ. And it's not me and Jesus with our own thing going. The body of Christ, and this is what the earth is crying for. In fact, this is what Christianity is crying for, is the functioning of the body of Christ as a body, as in union with its head. So, so we need the Lord's body. Now, now flip over to Isaiah 2. I'll get back where I was. Isaiah 2. It says, verse 1, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah. Now, who did he see it concerning who? Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Jehovah's house, or the Lord's house in the King James, the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now I'm going to stop right here. Why? What, what does it matter that it's exalted above the hills? Anybody know? Why is it established on the top of the mountains. If you Again, if you study your Bible, what did Israel do over and over and over again in the hills? They worshiped false gods. 
They went into the high places to Molech, to Baal. You can go over and over again. So here it says it's going to be established on the top of the mountains. So, so the Lord's house in the latter days of Judah and Jerusalem. In the latter days of Judah and Jerusalem, the Lord's house is going to be established. And I will tell you that the latter days of Judah and Jerusalem was most likely, I, I want to be a little more emphatic than that, but it was when Jesus was walking the earth that that was the latter days of Judah and Jerusalem according to that old covenant. That was their latter days as he was walking the earth. And Paul wrote in his epistle that, that we are built upon what? A chief cornerstone built for the habitation of God in Ephesians 2 by the Spirit. So it would sound like that even in Apostle Paul's day, he got a hold of what Isaiah was saying and that Apostle Paul was declaring that God had established His house above all hills. And, and, and if you hear what Jesus said to the woman at Samaria, that's what He said. He said, no longer shall you worship God in Samaria, on that mountain. See, Samaria was a mountain. Nor in Jerusalem. Is that what the woman said? We worship God in what? This mountain. <laughs> See, this, this is being established above the mountains. What's being established is God's house of worship. And God's house of worship is not another physical structure built anywhere. It's, it's the Lord, what the Lord said in His Word, Behold, I lay a stone where at? In Zion, the high place of God. I'm laying a stone in Zion, a chief cornerstone. Glory to God. And what Jesus was saying, if we can hear it, that neither in, Jeru that in Jerusalem or Samaria, He's speaking of Zion. Of the, of the high place of God, the Spirit. See, the spiritual realm is the high place of God. And that's what a lot of God's people don't understand. God's height, being higher than us, doesn't, He doesn't, doesn't mean He's way up yonder and we're way down here. Being higher is being in the Spirit. When John was caught up, what, how, how did he go up in the book of Revelation? He was in the Spirit. Glory to God. And the Spirit, in one place in the book of Revelation, it said, and the Spirit carried Him away, and He saw a great high mountain. He saw the Lamb's wife or the Lord's wife. He saw that coming out of God, adorned as a bride for her husband. But John saw that by the Spirit. And we're trying to realize this by the natural. And see, it won't work because God's mind and thoughts are not natural. They're not in the natural realm. The natural realm is, is in type and shadow to them. But they're not there. It's like that house. That house in, in Jerusalem was a type of what God was going to do in Zion, going to do in Christ. That house was His dwelling place. 
But he was moving into what he desired from the beginning. To dwell in man. Ye are the temple of God, as God hath said. What he say he would do? I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God. How, how do you know He's your God? He dwells in you. That's what Paul writes. How do you know you belong to the Lord? His Spirit bears witness. What? What with? With your spirit that you are the children of God. So, so how do you know you're the Lord? John says the same thing. In, in, in John's writings, in, he says that God has given us His Spirit. So how do I know I have His Spirit? That's how I know. Now He's given me His Spirit that I might know all things of God. Before I received His Spirit, I couldn't know anything of God. But now I have His Spirit to know, to understand, to comprehend. And so this truth of His house should be taught all over the earth. We, we shouldn't be teaching anymore that God's dwelling in buildings made with hands or that He needs another building in the Middle East. We really shouldn't be teaching that. We shouldn't even be allowing it. I, and I, I know I, I, I'm pretty bold right now. I know brothers and sisters, and, and again, I love brothers and sisters that believe that. I'm not against them. I'm for them. But my heart is that they would come into understanding of the Lord that He has laid a stone and we are built on that stone. And, that, and that, that understanding, that comprehension needs to come forth. See, that's true. The true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I only understand truth through Him. And so, so, so that's what he did. He brought a new house. He told them in John two, recorded John two, he said, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again." He's speaking of the temple of his body. What was so significant about his body? Anybody know? Who did he say was dwelling in it? He said that the Father is where with. Have you ever read how many times Jesus said the Father wasn't far away from Him, but He that sent me is with me? At that day, you'll understand or you'll know. He said John 14.10. Turn to John 14.10 real quick. John 14.10, and I might quote back in Isaiah 2 in a moment, but I'll, I'll uh, try not to run you back and forth too much. John 14.10, what does He say to him? Believest thou? Notice this, like he told, like he told the woman at the well. Believe me, no longer shall they worship in Jerusalem or Samaria. <laughs> now, what does he say to believe here? Believe. Believest thou that I am where in the Father? Where was he standing at when he said that? He's standing on there. He says, believe I am in the Father and the Father in me. See, see most Christians, and, I, and I'm the, I was the same for many years, had a, had a concept in my mind that Jesus was down here on earth and God the Father was way somewhere up 
away from Him. But Jesus said to believing, I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. The words that I say to you, I speak not from myself, but the Father abiding in me doeth His works. So the Father abiding in me. So when He says, destroy this temple, because His temple was housing God. So I looked at that one, you know, in Matthew uh, 23, 24, I've studied, I've studied Matthew 24 for quite some time. And in chapter 23, I've looked at that and, and, I, and I just went, wow, in my spirit. When Jesus walks out of that temple, the glory of God departed. I believe if you study your Bible... In that second temple, you know, that's what we're talking about in John 2. They were, Herod was rebuilding or beautifying or whatever the second temple that had been built, the first one had been destroyed. And from the studying that I have done, the Ark of the Covenant, and I've heard other brothers say this, I, I can't see where the Ark of the Covenant was in the second temple. Do you realize that? It had been in the first, but I can't find it in the second. Well, this moment when Jesus walks in there, when Jesus comes on the scene, guess what? Their ark came. And He walks in the temple. And He leaves and He tells them, now your house is left what? Desolate. Why is it desolate? Because He departed. And He wasn't coming back. And He says to them, destroy it. And in three days, I'll raise it. And now, he's moved from that view of that physical building in the Middle East to his body. And Apostle Paul understands this, and he says, now you are what? The body of Christ and members in particular. So now you are housing the Most High God. Glory to the Lamb of God. So he moved it from that natural realm. How did he move it? By his word, by his person. He said it. It's like when God said, let there be light. And guess what? His light. So when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. His word established the temple in himself. Glory to God. I've seen that over and over again. That When Jesus said, he that believeth on me, guess what? That went into force. When He died and raised from the dead, that became force. That, that was a word from the Lord. Ever thought about that? Destroy this temple. So that understanding should be in every believer. I saw this in Peter's writing. Peter was writing about the sincere milk of God. The milk, not the meat, the milk of God. And you know what he brought into view? The temple of God. Coming to a living stone. You're living stones built up in the stone. He brought this is milk. We we said this is deep. See, see this understanding should be in every heart. <coughs> see see when this gets in your heart. You, you, you'll begin to quit looking for God to do, to have to do anything in the Middle East. You'll realize what Jesus said in His finished. When He said it's finished, He meant it. 
Study it out. Search it out with the Lord. One of the other things he says there in Isaiah 2 that's really powerful, it says that the Word of God was coming from Jerusalem and the law was coming from where? Zion. Did the law come from Zion? Have you ever thought about that in Isaiah 2? That God was bringing a law out of Zion. Not out of Sinai. Out of Zion. Another law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now if I go back to, to Deuteronomy, flip back to Deuteronomy 18. Jesus said, well Moses says, speaking of Christ, in Deuteronomy 18, says, verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, 15, Jehovah thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of Jehovah thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Jehovah my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And Jehovah said unto me, They have well said that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put whose words? My words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So this word here was the same word Isaiah saw when Isaiah saw a word coming to Jerusalem and Judah in the latter days. Same word. It was the Word of God in the mouth of Jesus Christ. Flip over to John 3. Then we're going to flip back to Isaiah 59. John 3. Do a little flipping. John 3. In verse 34. All right. Verse 31. We'll read down from there says, He that cometh from above is above how much? All. He that is of the, earth, of the earth is of the earth, and the earth, and of the earth he speaketh. He that cometh from heaven is above all. What he hath seen and heard of that, he beareth witness, and no man receiveth his witness. He that receiveth his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true, for, whom, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. What words does he speak? The words of God, for he giveth not the Spirit by measure. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given, him, given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, now when this was written, you were in the latter days of Judah and Jerusalem. Because when, when this was written, what was still there? 
the temple. Think about it. When John and the apostles wrote their epistles and gospels, to the best of my knowledge, again, I'm not a scholar. There's a whole lot better scholars when it comes to that than me. But to the best of my knowledge, what was still standing? The temple. So here, John is writing, and he's speaking, you know, there he's speaking of, of Jesus and John the Baptist, but he's speaking here that Christ has the words of God, and that Christ has the Spirit without what? Measure. Now flip back to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. I love the book of Isaiah. And verse 20, 2021, Isaiah 59, verse 2021. And a Redeemer will come where? To Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith Jehovah. And as for me, this is my covenant. What's his covenant? Saith Jehovah, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put where? In thy mouth. Now who did we read in John 3 speaks the words of God? Jesus. Who did we read in John 3 had the Spirit without measure? Jesus, right? So when Jesus come, would, would any, and who, who thinks Jesus is the Redeemer? I do, right? So when He come, the Redeemer had come to Zion. And when He come, the words of God was in His mouth. And when He came out of John, came down of John to be baptized in the Jordan, what happened? The Holy Ghost come upon Him. The heavens opened. And John saw the Holy Ghost come upon Him as a dove. So He had the Spirit without measure. And so the words He spoke were the words of covenant. Glory to God. It says here, listen to this. He says, My Spirit that is upon thee and My words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now listen to this. It shall not depart out of my, thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed. Now why is that important? Flip over to John 17. Saith Jehovah from henceforth and forever. I left that part off. So he set this forth. When this happens, when this Redeemer comes to Zion, and he has the words of God, and the Word of God is coming, and the Spirit comes without measure, this is henceforth, or from that time, forever. Amen? John 17. I think I want to start about verse 8. Let me see. Okay. Verse 7. Now they know, he's speaking of his disciples, now they know that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are from thee. 
for the words which thou gavest me. So God gave Jesus the words. How many believe that? What does Jesus say He's doing with the words? He says, you gave them to me, and I gave them to them. Right? And they received them. And knew of a truth that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified whereat in them. And I am no more in the world, and these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. My God, what a word. They may be what? Divided. No. They may be one as we are one. And how's, how's, you, you know, while I was with them, I kept them in the name which thou gavest me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world. I'm speaking them in the world, it says, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not in the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me in the world, even so I send them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Neither for these only do I pray. Not just for these. So he's praying for those there. But who else does he pray for? But for them also that believe on me through their word. Now, now remember what Isaiah said. A Redeemer's going to come to Zion. And God's going to give that Redeemer His word. And His word is going to be given to His seed. And that word is going to be passed from his seed to his seed's seed. I think if we can hear it, these disciples and apostles were his seed that Isaiah was talking about. And as Jesus, and what did Jesus go on to say? He said, neither, you know, I read that, that he goes down and he says, he's praying for those that believe on his word that they may all be one. That even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me, and the glory which thou hast given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected into one, that the world may know that thou didst send me, and lovest them, even as thou had loved me. Now let's let's let's. Start, stop just a moment and just say, give you a couple examples of this. What did Jesus tell people they had to do? Did He say, you've got to keep the law? No. He didn't speak ill of the law. So He didn't come talking ill of the law. He said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
I'm what the law was speaking of. In other words, He was the embodiment of the nature of the commandments. The Ten Commandments that you read, Jesus embodied the nature. Jesus didn't hate His brother. Jesus didn't murder. Jesus didn't fornicate. You can go down the list. Because it's not in His nature. It wasn't that He had to... He had to write them on the wall. They, they just weren't in His nature. He was another nature, another kind of man. He was a man that God dwelled in. So, so He comes and He says, Believe on Me. You know how radical it was for that time? I don't know that we get it. They're, they're believing on a sacrifice that they're taking to a high priest at a temple and offering up for the sanctification of their souls. That's what they're believing on. Now Jesus is saying, hey, believe on Me. So He's bringing a new word outside, a new law if we can hear it. The law of faith is coming into existence that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved because He is becoming the sacrifice. So that's, so in the basics of the Word that Jesus gave, the very basic Word, I don't know how many times He says in the book of John, believe on Me. Over and over again. Now what does, what does the apostles teach? What does Peter teach on the day of Pentecost? Believe on Jesus. So the word that Jesus had preached, Peter become the embodiment of it. He become his seed. Just like Galatians said, one seed and those that believe that were the children of faith, they become the seed of God through faith in Christ. And so that word moved from Jesus into the apostles and they were teaching salvation and repentance through Jesus Christ. They were teaching wholeness. Salvation wasn't just being saved from sin, but it was the wholeness of your, of your spirit, soul, and mind. But see, see we, 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 we've reduced salvation. I, I saw this in, with the man at the gate of beautiful. You know, we, we, some of us really, in, in whatever, you know, kind of doctrine you, brought, you got brought up in, really teach, uh, preach out of the book of Acts, and I love it, that no other name is given whereby man shall be saved but the name of Jesus. I believe that 100%. But you know what, he was, what they were referring to? They had healed, or Jesus had healed the man at the gate of beautiful. So inside of that salvation was the healing of that man. Amen. It wasn't just the, the salvation of your soul, of your spirit, but it was the divine healing of God was wrapped up in no other name. So, so inside of our salvation is healing, is, is healing of our minds, healing of our souls, healing of our physical ailments. All that is wrapped up in the salvation of Christ. It's all wrapped up in Him. So there's a whole lot to believe on the name of Jesus. Now we, now we move on in the depth of what Jesus said. Now I'm saying this, this is, and there's a whole lot to learn if we say that's the basics, there's a whole lot to learn in the basics, but now, just for a moment, let me present a little bit. 
of the debt. The debt being John 17, as you go on down through John 17, he said that they may be one even as what? We are one. I know. What's the Apostle Paul's epistles about? I saw this, I went, wow. Paul's just expounding on what Jesus said. A lot of people think Paul... You know, a lot, of, a lot of people have been around, especially in, in what we've called Christ in you message, deeper life message. They've looked at Paul's epistles and kind of thought, well, he had, I, I don't know, he had, he had, and he did have some special, but he had some, you know, they'll teach more out of the epistles than they will out of the Gospels. But Paul's expounding, when Paul, when Paul begins to teach in, the, in his epistles that uh, that the church is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all. And then all. what did Jesus say in John 17? That they may be one as we are one, I and them, thou and me. That they may be made perfect in one. Paul just began to expound on what he said. He was carrying the same Word. So, so his seed was carrying the same Word. And that Word was, was, was moving throughout the land. See, that word was causing uproars in, in the earth in that day. Turn the world upside down. Our, our word today a lot of times doesn't seem to carry much clout, does it? Should. Because we're, if we're speaking out of the very Word of God, it should touch lives. There should be in us a desire to be one. And by being one with the Lord, there will be a desire to become one with one another. It will move from just then. You know, it will move from that thinking. You know, I, I kind of saw that move from John 14, Jesus speaking of the coming of the Holy Ghost. He says that that day you'll know I am in the Father. You, he says, you are in me. And I am in you. So we get we get a hold of He is in us, and we are in Him. But then when you come into John 17, He said that they. So He's bringing into you a corporate body. You know, John 14. I could say maybe He's bringing more into your one-on-one relationships. And then as He moves on there in understanding, it's coming into view of the corporate body. So as I see the need of the corporate body, then I want to see the body of Christ become one in the earth. And I know that there's a necessity of the oneness of the body. That a few super saints ain't going to get it done. It's a body. The manifold wisdom of God shall be made known by who? The church. The church is His body. So you you realize what He's given you? Give put place to you the manifold wisdom of God. What, what this what said? Paul said that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Man, that's that's quite something to get a hold of. God wants you to be an instrument. I, I I'll share this one last thing tonight, and I'll stop. And again, out of Isaiah 2, the prophet saw a day where men would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, a pruning knife. And in the church, the way I grew up, that was looked like, sorry, I walk around. 
people look would say someday that's going to happen. And, I, and I'm looking in the Word and I see Peter cut off Malchus' ear. You ever read that? Peter drew his sword and he does what when they're taking Jesus? He cuts off Malchus' ear. Jesus heals Malchus. Right? Paul was Saul of Tarsus and what was he doing? Was he not killing Christians? Did you say that Peter and Paul's sword was beat into a plowshare? Did you not say that both of them took hold of the plow and began to plow the field of God and plant the Word of God into men and women's hearts and cultivate God's seed to bring forth fruit unto the Father? Could you not say that? If, if we see it from the vision of the Spirit, I believe every time, you know, it could be a sword, it could be a spear, it could be a gun, it could be a knife, it could be words. When we begin to operate in the kingdom and the principle of the kingdom, and we begin to sow God's Word in men's hearts, and we begin to cultivate that Word, that Isaiah's been fulfilled in you. See, I believe it has been fulfilled and as and is being fulfilled. I believe that, that. That many things in the Bible already have been fulfilled, but they're being fulfilled or made real in you. That, that there's a working of the Spirit that, that happens, I believe. And I'll use this for an example. In Matthew 24, it says, This generation shall not pass away till all things be fulfilled. I believe Jesus was naturally speaking to the Jews that were standing right there that, that, that very day. Because there was a 40 year period, and if you go study your Bible, that 40 years in your Old Testament would represent a generation. And it passed away. But I also believe that although that is true literally, that that old man, that that generation represents the old man, the old Adamic nature that's in each one of us, and that thing has to be removed out of our heart. So why is it important to understand the Word of God to see that? And to minister it, to share it. Because God doesn't want that old man nature to even be, be, be here anymore. He crucified it. And He brought us forth in a new man. A new seed. So what we should be declaring is the newness of life in the earth. A new voice, a new message has been on the earth for now, what, 2,000 years since Peter blew the trumpet, if we can hear it, blew a trumpet there on Pentecost. What in your Bible was a trumpet in your Bible? Was it not a message, a voice? That, that even in the natural, if it, a, a trumpet plays distinct sounds, right? I can't play instruments. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm clueless. But, but they play a particular sound. And see, when Peter began to preach on the day of Pentecost, was he not blowing a trumpet, bringing forth a message, a word that had never been on the earth before? Sure he was. Was Paul not, when Paul began to speak of the revelation of Christ in him, was he not declaring a word, blowing a trumpet that had never been declared on the earth before? Sure he was. Sure, there, there's a voice, and that voice is still going forth in the earth today. It's still transforming life. This word is so powerful, it transforms us. It gets in us. It, it changes. Changes our mind. Changes our way of thinking. I, 
I, I'm done as far as that goes. I'm going to just say a couple things in closing. I, I say to people, I'm going to turn it off here. You can leave me.